Well, let's pray and then we will uh, take a trip, trip through the scriptures real quick and try to encourage ourselves. Father, we thank you for this evening that we could gather in your name and you can be glorified by our singing and our teaching. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would strengthen us throughout the night. Uh, they're not easy issues that we have to tackle at times. We live in a fallen world. We struggle with our own sin, the sin of others. And uh, the weight of that can be devastating at times. And so, Lord, we pray that you would strengthen us tonight. As we remind ourselves of some biblical truths here tonight, we pray that each and every one of us would look introspectively at ourselves um, and that we would own sin, deal with it, repent of it, turn from it, lean on you in such a way, Lord, that we can run from it. And so we ask that this reminder would glorify you today and help us greatly. In Jesus' name, amen. If you don't have a copy of the notes, I'd encourage you to maybe stand up and go get them. They're at the corners. This is one you might want to write down and keep in your Bible. Or um, Just what I'm going to do is just give you eight quick thoughts to help protect you from sin, uh, help people you love from following, falling in some way, and and these are, these are just some thoughts I jotted down this week as we we're preparing for this meeting. The elders um, directed me to teach on, on something around this. And I, and I got thinking, you know, we all make hard decisions. I don't know if you have hard decisions in your life that you have to make. I have hard decisions. The elders have made very hard decisions even this week. Um, how do you do that? How do you know you made the right one? How do you find God's will? I think this message will line up in there. What's God's will for my life? Is he trying to hide it from me? No. But how do I find God's will? I think this message will help you with that. How do I have joy when I've lost joy? And I've lost that joy of my salvation. How do, how do I recover that? So I, I think this message and these eight thoughts here will help capture that with you and, and encourage you and I together. I read a quote this week from Thomas Brooks. Um, he said this, and I want to talk about sin quite a bit in this message and how, how we don't succumb to it. But Thomas Brooks said this many, many years ago, one of the Puritans. He said, sin is a plague. <laughs> That's how the quote starts. Sin is a plague. We know plagues a little more now, don't we? Think about this. Sin is a plague. Yay. The greatest and most effectious plague in the world. And yet, ah, oh, how few are there that tremble at it, that keep, listen to this, that keep at a distance from it. Man, I read that and I thought, we're more worried about pandemics than we are sin. Six feet away. And yet, pornography and internet sin is at its highest it's ever been. Divorce rate is higher than it's ever been. Suicide rate's higher than it's ever been. Psalms 119, 105 said, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. There's only one way out of sin, and it is the word of God. So let me give you eight thoughts here that maybe I pray will help you, encourage me as I work through these. Um, number one, Shape your thoughts, desires, and attitudes in God's word. Shape your thoughts. And these are things nobody else knows, right? Your thoughts, your desires, 
And then what comes out of that is an attitude. Shape them from God's word. We're, I'm going to remind you over and over, these, these are to help us not fall into sin. This is the goal here. So Psalms tells us, Psalms 119, you can turn to Psalms 119. I'm going to read a few other verses in that. tells us that the word's a lamp to my feet. If you walk in a dark path full of all kinds of stumbling blocks and you don't have a light, you are going to what? You're going to fall. You're going to fall. And we've seen that at high levels in church. You know, those who are not supposed to do. We've seen it in every walk of life through the church. And so the goal of this point is to remind us to bathe our minds and thoughts in God's word. Bathe them in them. Wash them in the word. Husbands are taught to bring their wives to the word of God and wash them in the word. The word of God is a cleansing tool for our lives. It's not something to be trivialized, trivialized with and just messed around with in some way. It is, it is a great tool to wash us of sin. Read and study God's word so, so that you're captured and, and your desires are captured. Your attitudes are captured by the things of God. Let the light of God's word be, be the strongest influence in your life. If someone just off the street and you walk out and there's a news camera there and caught you off guard, maybe you just didn't walk out of church and they said, what's the strongest influence in your life? What's the strongest influence? What would you say? Would it be the word of God? And is that true? You have to spend time in it. You can't just depend on the elders teaching you. There has to be this, this desire for, for your heart to be bathed in the word of God, your thoughts captured by it. See, our goal is to let God's word shape us inwardly. That's what, it, that's what it does. So outwardly, we glorify God. So, so that's what the word of God does. Look at Psalms 119 with me, just the beginning. I love these first 12 verses. How blessed are those whose way is blameless. And, and you know this probably, but the, there are synonymous words to the word of God right here. Law, testimonies, precepts, commandments, statutes, judgment. These are all words synonymous with God's word. So he says, um, how blessed are those who, whose way is blameless, who walk in the word of God, the word of the Lord, the law of the Lord. How blessed are those who observe his testimonies, that's his word, who seek him with all their hearts. Remember, shape your thoughts, your desires, your attitudes. They also do no unrighteousness. They walk in his ways. You have ordained your precepts, another term there, that we should keep them diligently. Oh, that my ways may be established to keep your statutes. Then I will not be ashamed. Sin always brings ashamed. Just look at the garden, right? What did they do as soon as they sinned? They were ashamed. They even told God they were ashamed. Sin brings ashamed. Here, the psalmist says, when I'm established in your statutes, when I'm established in your word, I won't be ashamed. When I look upon your commandments... I shall give thanks to you with an uprightness of heart. This isn't legalism. This isn't boasting. This, this is someone who says, I want to have an upright heart. Not so I can walk around and, and parade that. Because there's such joy and happiness comes with uprightness. Verse 8, I shall keep your statutes. 
Do not forsake me utterly. And then you know these verses. How can a young man or anyone else keep his or her way pure? By keeping it according to the word. With all my heart I have sought you. What a statement. And I read that this week and I thought, hmm. I spent my life in the word. And there are times in my life I can't say that. Lord, I want with all my heart during difficult times, I want to seek you. Notice the psalmist says, do not let me wander from your commandments, from your word. Don't let me drift away from that truth. I mean, there's almost a desperate, desperateness to this man, right? Don't let me get away. I know what happens. If it's King David, he saw what happened to Saul when he got away from the word of God, the anointing of God. Don't let me get away. Look, every one of us watch people fall throughout our lives, Christians who, who shouldn't have fallen but did. It scares you. And I think David here, if this is David or whoever this is, says, I, wanna, I, wanna not, I don't want to wander away. And then verse 11, probably the most well-known verse in this section, your word I have treasured or stored in my heart that I may not sin against you. There's the result. And so you can, I think it's easy for us to be raised in church and know the Bible and quote verses and memorize them and do all those things. But if it's never treasured, sin isn't beat. Sin will come at you so hard. Verse 12, bless, blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. What a statement. Teach them to me. Hebrews chapter 4, just run over there real quick. Verse that we have to look at. In light of this, Hebrews chapter 4. The word of God is a living and active. Verse 12, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. means it can, it can get us either way, right? Coming and going, right? It's, it, it, there's nothing like it, right? There's nothing that can deal with our souls like the word of God. Notice that it pierces as far as the division of the soul and the spirit. And that's deep. That gets into the inner person, the inner man, the inner woman, the inner soul that God has created, the spirit of the person and the soul that God takes to heaven or sends to hell. One of the two, it gets in between that. That's where the word of God is. To both the joints and the marrow, that's as deep as you can get in the body. And then notice this, is able to judge the thoughts and the intention of the heart. So you can read the Bible, you can play with the Bible, you can hear good sermons, but has the Bible got to your thoughts and even the intention of your heart? If not, it, sin comes. See, that's where sin takes root, right? It takes root in the, in the thoughts and it takes root in the heart. That's where it does its work. And the Word of God is there to cut that off so that sin does not have a chance to send down roots into our hearts and our inner person. And then look at verse 13. And there is no creature hidden from his sight. Isn't that interesting that he connects these two statements, or verses for us here, but these statements with, a, with an and, a, connection, con, a conjunction that links two thoughts together here. So the word of God and his sight, the, and the word of God and God of the word are connected. You can't separate them. And so just like the word of God gets down to the sinner, so nothing is hidden from God himself, but all things are laid bare to the eyes of him whom we have to do with. What a statement. 
Shape your thoughts, desires, and attitudes through the Word of God. Don't mess with Scripture. Don't play with it. Don't use it as, as a little jingle for something. It's there for us to live lives, to, to love Him too. A deep love for the overcomer is the only way to overcome sin. Jesus is the overcomer, isn't He? He's the one that takes us and brings us through something that we could not overcome on our own. 1 John chapter 5, verse 3 through 5 reads this way. For this is the love of God. And I thought this was a fascinating statement. For this is the love of God. Well, I want to know what the love of God is. 1 John 5, 3 says this is the love of God. It's a statement. This is the love of God. Okay, well, I want to know what the love of God is. Don't you want to know what the love of God is? It tells you this is the love of God. Notice what it says. That we keep his commandments. So how's that connected to the love of God? What what John's trying to do is trying to tell us this is how you know you love God because your desires and your attitudes have been reshaped, reclaimed by him and you now understand the love of God because you desire to obey him. And notice John says, look, the commandments are not burdensome. The word of God is not burdensome. Look, friend, if you're in here and the word of God is burdensome to you, bothers you, that might be a telltale sign that sin still has command of your heart. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And who does that come from? Who is the one who overcomes the word? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God, our belief in Jesus Christ. He's the overcomer. The book of Colossians just loves to proclaim Christ. Chapter 2, verse 6, it says, Therefore you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. You want to be one who overcomes sin? Have a deep love for the overcomer. You've received Jesus, walk in him. Having been firmly rooted and being built up and established in your faith, your faith uh, in your faith, your roots are going deep into the word of God, into the person of Christ. And then there's great gratitude that flows. Colossians 3 says that we've been raised up with Christ, keep thinking on seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand, set your mind on things above. This world is hard to live in. I mean, let's just be honest. It is hard to live in this world. We're aliens, we're strangers, we're not part of this world, and then the world is constantly after our hearts. It's always on the attack. And so we have to be consumed with something else. So Paul goes on and says, for you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So you died with him and you're now hidden with him. And yet, yet, we don't we struggle with the things of the world. And so let me encourage you, believer, spend, <clears throat> excuse me, spend time meditating on the goodness of the grace of your Savior. He came and died for you. As simple a statement as that is in our, in our Christianity and all the doctrine and theology we teach and the understanding of the, of the knowledge of God and all the things that the Bible has... That principle has to be meditated on regular. He died for me. Meditate on the goodness and grace of your Savior. Figure out what it means when I say stuff like, are you captured with Christ? 
Because something's captured you. You were built to worship. So you're going to worship something. You're going to worship your own desires and what you think life should be like. And and that's going to drive you. And you're going to make decisions based on that. So what captures you? Are you captured by Christ? The more you know Jesus, the more you love him. The more you worship him, the more you become like him. And the more you will want to stop sinning. It's, It's the only way to beat sin. You just won't beat it. You have to love Christ. And you have to ask for that. I I think we wrestle with our flesh so much. And if we don't ask God to give us a, a deep abiding love for the overcomer, for the one who died for us, our love will venture into other areas. The Bible reminds us that we're unveiled faces now. Right? 2 Corinthians 3.18. We're unveiled. And we're being transformed in the image of Christ. Are you? See, it's a good question. Is that happening to me? Am I being transformed from glory to glory into the image of Christ? Or am I more being transformed like the world? Have politics gripped you far more than Christ has? See, we may not be talking about pornography for everybody in this room, but we may talk about some other God. The way you think the country should be run. I mean, think about it. This goes deep. This runs in lots of areas where, where our love for Christ is, is overrun by our personal desires for what we want God to do. And God now becomes our servant versus vice versa. And that's because we don't love his son. Romans 8, 20, 37 says, but in all things we are over, overwhelmingly conquered through him who loved us. Let me give you a quote before I leave this point real quick. John Owen said this many, many years ago. He said, on Christ's glory, I would fix all my thoughts and desires. And the more I see the glory of Christ, the more the painted beauties of this world will wither in my eyes and I will be more and more crucified to this world. I, I read that and I thought, the more the painted beauties of this world. Pretty incredible term. What painted beauties are dancing around in your heart and mine, my heart and mine? What's, what's drawing me away from this glorious Christ? Fix your thoughts and desires through the word of God in the glory of Christ. Three, these will go a little quicker now. God lives in you so all things are possible. If you're a Christian, God lives in you. You say, well, ah, this is, I, you don't know what I'm going through, Scott. You don't, you don't know the difficulties I'm in. You don't know the choices I made and, and what, what's happening in my life and so forth. The rich young ruler didn't understand all these things as well. And Jesus turned to him and said, the things, the things that are impossible with people are possible with God. And you go, well, how is that? Well, the Bible tells us that God lives within us. You're close to 2 Peter. Just flip over a book or two and look, look at 2 Peter chapter 1. Verse 2, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus Christ our Lord. Got to know him, right? Got to know who he is. He's, he's not some fairy tale. So grace and peace gets multiplied when you know God. I love that term. 
seeing that his divine power has granted, passive, given to us everything pertaining to life and godliness, salvation and the daily stuff he gives to us through the true knowledge of him, not, not some made-up Jesus that you want him to operate the way you want him to operate, but the Jesus of the Bible, the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence, for by these things to us his precious and magnificent promises for that, for, so that by them you may become, listen to this phrase, partakers of the divine nature. Well, how is Scott a partaker of a divine nature of God? Well, there's several things that I can come to mind, but let me tell you the most important. He puts his spirit within us. God, almighty, eternal God, his spirit resides in all believers. He resides in you. See why Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 2, 19, don't quench the spirit. Pneuma, wind, fire, we get that word from him. Don't douse the spirit of God. You know what douses the spirit of God? The things that are not of God. You want the spirit of God to burn bright in you, don't we? And, and so all things are possible with God. God lives in you, and, there's, and, and sin can be beat. Victory can be given. Marriages can be healed. Sin and all the brokenness that can be brought can be taken care of. There's still consequences, but he'll, he'll provide grace for those things, and you, you can have joy again. Because there's the Spirit of God that lives, and the believer don't doubt it. J.F. Packard said the Spirit of God is the spotlight ministry of, of God. It shines. He's always shining on the Word of God and on Christ till you douse Him out. Till you let things in. Don't douse Him out. Don't, don't, don't sequester Him. He's always shining on Christ and the Word. Four, and some of you are going to maybe laugh at this one, but believe in herd immunity. You go, what does that mean, Scott? Spend as much time as you can with the church. Amen. Spend as much time as you possibly can with the church. If you're struggling in sin and you, you're tempted in ways and you're being drugged off, spend as much time with a brother or a sister or multiple ones and as many BFGs and Bible studies and soul care groups and anything you can get in because you need the church. I need the church. And there is a herd immunity that happens here, right? Iron sharpens iron. We, we're encouraged by one another. We weep with each other. We rejoice with each other. We, we confess with one another. We repent with one another. We, we, we go through so much together. The world, has no, the world has no idea what the church is about. Listen, believers are to encourage one another, and they are to be all about the one another's. I want this church to be known for one another's. Certainly, it's love for the word of God and it's love for Christ, but it's love for one another. And it isn't because we just want to have this lovey-dovey church, because we know we need that. And when new people walk in those doors, and they're loved on and cared for and given preference, and, and take my seat, and will you come to lunch with me, and, and you care for them, all kinds of doors of opportunity open up for them and for you. 
Because now you stop thinking about yourself and the sin that so easily brings you away and you start serving the Lord Jesus Christ with hospitality and caring for one another. And look, that starts to rub off. And you're sitting in the aisle and everybody around you is greeting people and you're just sitting there. You know, when's the service going to start? Get up. Meet somebody. Care for somebody. Help somebody. See, there's a herd mentality that, that protects us from so much. Don't skip church gatherings. When the church gathers, when the doors are open, Gina and I through the years have watched God radically change some amazing lives and one thing I can tell you is anytime the church door was open, those people were there. I don't care. I mean, I don't care what we were doing. It was open. They were there. Because they knew, they knew they needed it. And I think today, Christians kind of check a box that I made you know, one service and I'm good. It's so much more than that. There's strength. There's, there's purity that helps, helps in our purity here. There's gathering of discernment from the Word of God and others. I mean, just think about that. He, Hebrews 10, 24 warns us and says, don't forsake that assembling together, but, but that you'll come and you'll stimulate one another. Those are strong words, aren't they? Have you stimulated anybody to love Jesus and his word more this week? Stimulate them. Be together. Proverbs tells us over and over things like this. Proverbs eleven fourteen, Where there is no guidance, the people fall. But in abundance of counselors, there is victory. Be among the flock. Be among a, a multitude of counselors that sit and care for one another. It's one of the things that I think Pastor Brian introduced last Wednesday to some of the people that don't know what's happening is our new soul care ministry. I, I'm leading one of those. and I, I, Actually, I'm not a leader. I'm just with three other guys, myself included. And we sit there and we dive into the word of God and we just drink from it. We encourage, we're so encouraged by it. And these dear brothers sharpen me. I can't imagine not being with them. It's a war being waged against your soul, brother and sister, 1 Peter 2.11 says. It's brutal out there. Five, don't categorize your sin. Don't categorize your sin. And what do you mean by that, Scott? Well, don't hide your sin under some respectable label, but call it what it is. You want to... You want to make big decisions and hard times and walk with God when even when it's difficult? Call sin, sin. Sin nailed our Savior to the cross, so we don't call OCD a lack of self um, We don't call it OCD. We call it a lack of self-control, right? An area where we, we quench the Spirit of God, right? We don't call drunkenness uh, a disease. It's sin. And it's contrary to what God teaches. Sin blinds us from finding God's will. And it's hard to make those hard decisions. It's hard to find joy in difficult times. It'll rob you of it. 1 John 1, 8 through 10 says, If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. And that's what can happen over and over. And this is where you can find yourself up in a place you never want to be because you didn't call sin, sin. We refused to deal with it what it was. But notice the next verse. If we confess our sins, what? He is what? Faithful. Faithful and just to forgive you. We say this all the time in counseling. If it's sin, there's an answer to it. Christ died for it. 
And he will set you free of these things. But verse 10 says, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Be careful. Be careful that we deal with sin as God deals with it. Six, beware of faceless Christianity. I thought long and hard about this. What does that mean? Beware of faceless Christianity. Who are you when you're not at church? Let me go a little farther with this. This might get a little warm. Who are you on social media? Do you hide your behavior and your desires of your heart under a cover of facelessness? It's deadly, believers. Many Christians have fake social media accounts so they can live in sin with what they think that no one knows. They move around in a, a, uh, an internet out there in the sky somewhere thinking nobody sees. But God sees all. God told Samuel in 1 Samuel 16, 7, for God, for God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. He sees all these things. So double life and hypocrisy and hidden, unconfessed, sinful desires, they're deadly. They're deadly combinations. And they'll lead to bad decisions and hurt and pain and suffering, not only of your own life, but the people you love the most. See, sin's not just after you, it's after the full circle that you run in. It just doesn't want me. It wants Gina, it wants the kids, the grandkids, it it wants everything. It wants the church, it wants to destroy everything. Love of Christ, love of his word, call sin, sin. Seven, know your enemy, sin, Satan, and death. Know your enemy, you don't know who your enemy is, you're in a lot of trouble. <laughs> He'll just walk up and take you out because you don't know who he is. So you've got to know your weaknesses. What's your weaknesses? Does everybody know what your weakness is? Think just real quick, just, I got just a few minutes left here. What is your sinful tendency? What's your weakness? What, I know what mine are, what's yours? You better know that because it's trying to kill you. It's trying to kill your marriage. It's trying to kill your children. It's trying to kill your church. That's the goal of sin. And by the way, Satan hates you. He absolutely disdains you. And he will do everything in his effort to destroy you. He's like a lion prowling around, seeking someone to devour, 1 Peter 5, 8. He hates you. So why do we play with his stuff? That's his stuff. Leave it alone. First Peter, excuse me, First Timothy chapter 5, verse 14, it's talking about widows and whether they should remarry and so forth. It's a fascinating passage. But there's a little phrase that I want to use as application. It says, give the enemy no occasion for reproach. Give the enemy no occasion for reproach. Boy, that's, that's quite a verse, isn't it? Does the enemy have an occasion in your life? That occasion will add up to another occasion, and then another occasion, and then another occasion, and then another occasion, and then when you least expect it, it's going to take you out. That's the way sin works. 
the glory of God, the joy of the saints, the access of the gospel are the exact opposite goals of the enemy. We are about the glory of God. We are about the joy of the saints, the success of the gospel. That's what we're about. Satan hates all those things. We love those things. One last thought. i got to quit. Go to Revelation chapter 7. I want to end with this verse. My mind ran this afternoon just to heaven. (laughs) It's during difficult times. Sometimes we long for the gates of heaven. And I found myself looking at this passage in Revelation 7, verses 11 and 12. In fact, I found myself singing this song because I think it really is a song. And we do sing this. Revelation chapter 7, it's a glimpse of God's people around the throne. Verse 11 says, All the angels were standing around the throne. And, and the elders in other places, they're with crowns on their head and white gowns. And I think that's the church. You may disagree with that, but I think that's the church. And the four living creatures. And they fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God. And this is what they said. And, and, and I love this point in verse 8. Be to your name. This is worship, right? Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God. Be to our God. Be to our God forever and ever. Are you a worshiper of the Lord? Do you want to beat sin? You have to worship the Lord. You say, God, make me a greater worship. Be to your name. Everything to you, your name, your glory, your essence, your person, your power, your authority, to all who you are, be to you. That should be a statement of our lives. Because I think that's what that says when we're going to be in heaven. We won't be worrying about any of these other things that were so trivial that we got ourselves caught up into and led us into sin. Those things will be gone and we'll long for his glory. We'll be captured and raptured with his glory there. And I don't even know what that looks like. But a dear buddy of mine sent me a text today and said, I think they're having a ball in heaven. Right when I was studying this passage. And I said, I think you're right, and I can't wait to be there. So I can say, be to your name. Be to your name. So I hope these eight things will help you and help me in our battle in this life, right? It is a fight. Paul said, fight the good fight. Run the race. Keep the faith. Not easy, is it? But these, these principles, and we could go all night, right? With more, we could think of more, but I hope this will encourage you. Let's pray. And then after I'm done praying, this is a members meeting. If you're not a member, we're really sorry about that. We want you to be a member. Um, but our goal is for family meetings and, and share some family stuff that we're working through. And so after I'm done praying, we ask you to quickly move out the doors, come back in. You can sign in there, there, and there. And let's get back in. It's a short meeting tonight, um, but some things we need to share with our members. Father, thank you for this time. Cause these truths to resonate in our hearts, Lord. We need to be lovers of your word. We need to be um, our minds, our hearts, all shaped by the truth, Lord. We need to be captured by Christ. We need to know sin and understand it, Lord, and and run from it and run to you, Lord. Um, Father, just I pray, Lord, you would put protection around each individual and around our church, Lord as we strive to honor you in all that we do say and sing here. In Jesus' name, amen.